Okay, well, I'm pumped for today. Uh, Ryan Verrill from uh, Disconnected uh, joining us for, for a discussion. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Happily, this is my honor. I've loved you guys for a long time. Happy to take part. Oh man, that's awesome to hear. So uh, on the off chance that anybody who's on Reddit or anybody who listens to us does not know Disconnected by name, uh, it's a YouTube series. And Ryan's also involved in a couple of podcasts uh, and basically we're kind of kindred spirits. Like he's, he's chronic. There, there was a phrase from Agfa that really stuck with me where they said they want to talk to people that are chronicling this kind of Blu-ray market right now and the collector's market right now. And the first person I thought of when they said that was Ryan, cause you do, I think you do what, what, what I'm trying to do and what they live by film is doing, but like 10 times better. Um, so really honored to have you on here tonight. <laughs> 10 times better. I, I don't know if I'll live up to that, but I appreciate the, the compliments. And I'll just, you've been so kind to me when I've been on your show. I just want to say, like, if anybody doesn't listen to you currently or watch you, like, go on there. I think for me, like, the best entry point is the, uh, when you kind of break down the labels a little bit, I think that shows where your head's at. I think that shows how serious you yeah. take this. Your research is, like, amazing. Some of the stuff you find out about the founders and, like, the history. Um, so that's what I always, that's what I always point people to. Is that, what, do you, what about you? Where do you point people yeah, that, that's that's usually it. If people are into more of a, an up-to-date thing rather than diving deep, I do my Thursday shows, which I, I recap all of the boutique announcements for that previous week. And uh, I, I think it's a pretty smart way to do it. All I do is I pull up my Instagram where I share all of the announcements and I just go one by one for every single one for the entire week. And some weeks there's, you know, 15 and other weeks, like the one that you were on with me, we had... I think we had like 60 announcements to go over that week. That was a crazy week. Yeah, that was nuts. Um, that, that's a great point. Yeah, and that's called Reconnected, right? If they're searching for it? Yes, uh, every Thursday's Reconnected. They'll still find it on the, all the same channel. It's always disconnected. And then uh, the the guides to labels, I, I always call them label guides, but those are all under a single uh, playlist on my channel that I just call guides. And it goes from different labels to even like retailers. I had a lot of people ask me about Hamilton books. So I did like a 20 minute deep dive into uh, what you can find there, how their packaging is. I bought something and unboxed it so you could see how they pack it nice. and everything. Man, it's funny, like five years, no, three years ago, everything moved so fast. Three years ago, Hamilton books was like the place. Like yep. they were amazing for that kind of like boutique online retailers. And like, since then, I feel like Diabolique's come on a huge way. Grindhouse has come on in a huge way. Like all of a sudden Orbit swept in and it's like, we've got you yep. for the foreign stuff. Um, it's crazy, man. There's so many, so many retailers that are trying to get their foot in the door now. There is. And Hamilton, I've, I've talked to the guy behind Hamilton a couple of times and his big thing was uh, buying things that were either out of print or on their way out of print. And because of that, these distributors, they would sell them for super cheap, like literally dollars on a, a 10 or $15 release, normally wholesale, they'd, he'd get it for about $2 a piece. And so he'd sell it for six. And because he's selling mass quantities, he'd make a lot of money, but because everybody's collecting and paying attention to all these different sites, there's nothing there. His well is dried up. So the stuff that he's selling, nobody's clamoring to Hamilton books anymore. And I feel awful, but uh, yeah, they're still great. I mean, $4 flat shipping. You can't argue with that. There's, and there's one more big one that people get excited about. Um, anyways, well, maybe it comes <laughs> here in a minute, but yeah, there's like, um, I, I think Hamilton books still has some really good deals. Uh, if, if you really they do. dig around a little bit. Um, but this is a audio podcast, so you can't see what I see. But the reason I'm so excited to talk to you is because behind you 
is like just at a quick glance, like 10 out of print Arrow or Criterion releases. Um, and I feel like, you know, you are a kind of hardcore collector at heart. Um, yes. and, and that's why I wanted to kind of bring you on because as you know, we've been chronicling like the labels, which has led to some of the retail stores, which has led to recently we did our first conversation with a filmmaker that was tied to vinegar syndrome. But like, you know, I just love people that are like heavily invested in this world. So I thought it'd be fun today just to have like a, kind of a discussion about two people that are hardcore collectors, uh, chroniclers of this world, uh, and and just get a deep dive into uh, into what drives you. So you ready to you ready to do it? Happy to do it. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, first question that always comes to mind is like when I listen to. So have you ever heard the Fractured Listens podcast? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So you know, like that guy Luke over there has this incredible guest list right like he's got freaking yep. uh lloyd kaufman i'm i just finished listening to bill lustig it's like this incredible list and uh you know they always start off with this this thing that which fascinates me which is sort of like when did you get into horror how did you get into horror kind of that origin story right, right? so that's I, I thought that'd be a fun place to start as well so um what when did did you get into movies first or horror first or what, what was that like for for young ryan uh, it was a very blended experience. My my first memory of movies in general was uh, going to the theater and watching the animated Beauty and the Beast. And uh, for some reason, that that sticks in my mind. I, I think it's less because of the movie itself, but uh, my my stepmom that I was with at the time, she was pregnant, and we she raced me into the theater. And because of that, she uh, went into early labor and was placed on bed rest. So it was like <laughs> this big trip. Yeah, it was this big traumatic thing for her, but it, it was great. I was super young at the time, so it it was just a lasting memory. And it was a you know from like inside out one of those core memory things I'll probably never lose. Sure. And then uh, what I found out later, I don't I didn't remember this because I was too young, but I was told a babysitter showed me Child's Play when I was about three and a half or four years old. No way. No idea why, uh, but they did. And then the the first horror experience I remember is I watched Carrie when I was probably six or seven. Oh and... my God, it's like the worst one. <laughs> yes, so uh, I, I had no clue what was going on with the whole opening scene in a locker room or anything like that. No idea why. Sure. Uh, but then the first movie that really like hit me and solidified it, I lived in a really small desert town. And when I was eight years old, my parents said, all right, listen, we think you're ready for this. And they put in Halloween. And... What? I sat there and I wasn't, I, I didn't think in the moment I was scared. They told me afterwards that I was super tense, did hardly move the entire time. And the only thing I remember is afterwards, my dad said, I will give you $5 for you to run and touch our back fence right now and then come back to the house. And we lived on a corner lot in uh, a not great part of town at the time. And the way our backyard was situated, it was kind of a jaunt. And they like for a little while you couldn't see the actual house as you're running towards the back fence so okay. it would have been kind of crazy for an eight-year-old so yeah that that's when i loved the feeling of genuinely being like emotionally affected and having it not not real terror but really have something where i was un, uneasy at least oh my gosh dude that's crazy like your <laughs> so your intro horror was child's play which I mean, honestly, isn't that bad. It's scary right. at four. I mean, come on. But like, that one's okay. But then freaking Carrie, which is just like, 
I mean, yep. you might not have been able to even fully comprehend the, the, the craziness that was going on there when she's all bloody and stuff like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> what the hell? And then Halloween, man, that movie is like, it just has a dread to it, right? The soundtrack and like. Right. Um, so, and, and I think that's why they chose that one first, because it's really, when you watch it, there's not much blood or anything. It's right. and, and obviously it's not like one of the over overly sexy movies. Um, and I, I don't even know what version they showed me. There's a couple versions where there's no nudity at all on that film. So I, I don't even remember, but yeah, there's hardly anything in that. It reminds me of, uh, uh, Toby Hooper trying to get Ch- Chainsaw Massacre a PG rating. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. Um, uh, so, so for me, it was, I was five, six, somewhere in that range. And, uh, my parents used TV as like a babysitter. Yep. So like literally, like, I mean, it's kind of you know, whatever, they're past the point of, uh, what's that legal term where like, you can't get tried anymore? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, I can't even remember. Anyways, right now. I'm exhausted. Past the statute of limitations. They're past That's the, the word. Um, but like, they would like go on an hour walk and leave me in front of the TV, right? Like that was like the video. <laughs> so I grew up with a lot of TV and stuff, but uh, I remember seeing like under some rerun or something, seeing Freddy, Freddy Krueger, like one of the, like the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And um you know something about it like that movie's so over the top and kind of hammy like yeah. I-, I love the movies but like they're so just sort of unreal that like they never scared me like that was like right. I, even as like a young kid i was like oh this is awesome like i just kind of like got into it and it's just it's just so detached from reality right and so i love the nightmare on elm street movies that kind of got me into it a little bit and then honestly i didn't even really think about horror a lot uh, unless it was just happened to be on or something my my history was more around um probably just whatever was in the theater. Like I, you know, we saw a lot of cartoons, a lot of Disney. Of course. Um, it wasn't until high school that I started getting back into horror again. Um, and then college was a big time working at Blockbuster for me. So I uh, saw a lot of horror and that's when I started getting into trauma and then a lot of the shot on video stuff and like a lot of that world kind of opened up when I was in college. Um, yeah. But so walk, okay, so so you got into, that's, that's like super young Ryan. Um, and then uh, did did you like have, so have you always been kind of obsessed with movies and like has this something that started later uh did you have other hobbies growing up or like when when did movies become like something that was a real passion of yours what's funny is this is this is kind of my second wind my uh yeah. my first wind was primarily based around music i uh i had a I had a rough childhood. I'll I'll put it at that. And there was a lot of things that didn't go right. And one of the things that I kind of finally found my, my first acceptance in was the music scene and uh, primarily the heavy music scene. So I'd go to a lot of like hardcore shows and right around, I don't even know if I was 18 yet. Well, yeah, I had to be at the time Uh, right around, like right after I turned 18, I volunteered for a Christian radio station in okay. Southern California, just because I wanted to get close to some of my bands uh, that I was fans of. And so for about two years, I'd go to events all the time, uh, funded mostly by myself. And we lived in the middle of nowhere. So I, we're talking like I had to drive 80 miles to go to some of these shows. Okay. Um, I, I'd work a full day, drive 80 miles, go to a show and then drive home so I could work the next morning. <laughs> and <laughs> I was I was big into the hardcore scene, too. Who were you seeing at that time? Uh under oath project 86 uh the biggest one like august burns red is huge now and back in let's see i was 18 in 2005 uh it was either 2005 or 2006 i saw august burns red uh probably about five or six times before they exploded they just happened to be 
on all these other tours that I was volunteering for. And yeah, I, I was around bands like that constantly. That's cool. The closest story I have like that is I saw Thursday when there was like 10 people in the show. Um, <laughs> um, and I went up and talked to the guy afterwards because I don't know if they still have that Japanese guitarist, but that dude could shred. So I was just like, yeah. who are you? Um, but uh, that's cool, man. Yeah. So so you uh, was that like in Southern Cal? Like where, where what general area was that? Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of movies, uh, have you seen Aaron Brockovich? Yeah. So Aaron Brockovich, that whole story happened about 10 minutes from where I grew up from oh, shit. Uh, in, in the desert, in the middle of California. I have, uh, I've got a friend that lives here around Kansas city that moved here after me and his whole family, they owned like this big block and PG and E from the movie, they polluted the whole area and bought this entire city block. So his whole family all had to essentially elope from our little town we grew up in and just scatter across the country. So they're everywhere now. Yeah. It happened to a lot of friends. I, I grew up right around then. And so all of my shows that I go to would be uh, down like the glass house in Pomona, California, or the showcase theater in Corona, California. Um, I've gone to San Diego to go to shows. I, I did a few in LA, but I mean, traffic down there that makes trying to get home the next day <laughs> to go to work when it's about two and a half hours away, a little yeah. dangerous. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to remember. You said you worked for a Christian station. What was the name? There was home Tooth and Nail. Tooth and Nail was a big label, right? They had that like a ton the, of hardcore punk stuff from that. Yep, that was the main label I did a lot of stuff with. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember them because they had this uh, obviously MXPX, but then they had another band where this dude could shred uh, called Slick Shoes. Slick Shoes is great. They're back doing stuff again. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the guy could never, I don't think the guy could sing, but the, their guitarist was freaking amazing. I think he went on to become like a fairly well-known musician in the, in the, in the hardcore scene. Um, yeah. But um, I remember hearing Tooth and Nail every now and again, they'd pop up when I was listening to a lot of the punk stuff. Okay, cool, man. So um, music first. And then somewhere along that way, you casually started buying movies because it was just like the DVD days or like, or how did you get back into movies? So the big thing is I have always loved physical media. So when I was doing the music thing, I, I was crazy hardcore about it. Like we're talking, go to circuit city and wait in the parking lot on Tuesday mornings before they open oh, to get really... the new CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would, I would on rele new release days, go to like four different places to try to get everything. I used to carry around one of those binders of CDs everywhere that had yeah. literally like 400 discs to choose from. Yep, uh, yep. So I was doing all that. And a lot of these bands and everything, the the whole like emo wave that swept across the US, they, they relied heavily on movies. A lot of those bands were inspired directly by movies. And I really started to, you know, hang out with some of these bands and they would show me stuff. And oh. so stuff that I've never even heard of, I'd discover because I grew up in this tiny town. So the only thing we had access to for movies was super mainstream things sure. and learning about these things. When I was like 20, when a lot of people had discovered them when they were, you know, 11, I was way behind, but then I just started to ingest all of it. So now I'm going to pick up uh, new CDs, but I'm also like, Hey, there's a giant movie section there too. And I started picking up DVDs here and there and it, it grew. It was never as big as my CD collection, but yeah, it certainly started back then. That's awesome. Uh, do you remember, um, was there a turning point for you where you kind of felt like, okay, like I'm like movies is the thing that's going to sort of dominate now, or are you still equally into music? 
No, I have I've I've led away from movie or from music a little bit, and I think the turning point was me uh, being in a situation where I was moving away from California to Kansas City, and I had no money saved. I was young, uh, in a new relationship, just married my wife, and we were in like I said, I had a rough childhood, and it was affecting things in my adult life, and so we decided to leave. So I was literally just applying for jobs all across the country. And I got the same job offer essentially in Ann Arbor, Michigan and Kansas city and Kansas city just sounded a lot better than Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, so I sold everything. Um, I like, I had a lot of, uh, instruments cause I was making music too. Um, I had a drum set, I had a bass guitar, I had an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar. Uh, I had tons of CDs. I had about probably about 400 DVDs around then. And I sold almost everything. I sold all of my instruments. I kept about 25 movies and, uh, probably about 150 CDs. Everything else was gone. And I came here and that was in 2013, which just so happened to be right around when Blu-ray was really getting full steam. Yeah. yeah. So it happened to be perfect. I sold all my limited edition, like anchor Bay DVDs and Mm -hmm. came here and now Blu-rays were the main thing. So I can make that transition logically rather than, uh, you know, worrying about trying to sell off my old stock because I already had. Wow, man, that's cool. Um, I think you made the right choice uh, between Ann Arbor and Kansas <laughs> City, by the way, just for the winters alone. Um, yeah, a lot less snow. Yeah. So before we get too far off of this, because I, uh, I don't want to come back later, do you remember this place called Blockbuster Music? I don't. Okay. Maybe that was a regional thing. So they had the worst business model ever. Okay. <laughs> I used to, so we grew up, uh, I grew up living international. So I, I grew up in uh, high school for me was actually in Indonesia. So every summer we would come back because you have to get uh, kind of vaccinated again from like malaria and all that, all that right. kind of stuff. So, so I would come back and we get all their vaccines and we we're usually back for like a month for like visa stuff. And in that time, I was like 14, 15. I was, you know, I'd get like, you know, they here's like a hundred bucks. This is your kind of like music allowance for the summer, you know? So I'd go in there. I like really wanted to like take advantage of this. And so I'd go in there and they would open any CD in the store and let you listen to it. But then the problem was it was open. So then they had to sell it as used. Right. Right. So it was the worst business model ever. Um, and I would just go in there and I would like walk around for two hours and walk up with a stack, like as high as I can. And just there, like, listen to like all this stuff and <laughs> walk out with like three CDs. <laughs> and, like, there's no yeah, way I did it. Um, anyways, I'm not surprised they're not around. Um, um, so it, th- I think I know the answer to this question then, but based off kind of what you said earlier, uh, would you say that you made a conscious decision to start like, quote unquote, like collecting Blu-ray? Or would you say that you're by nature a collector and like you just happen to be drawn towards like the definitive editions as you're like getting into this stuff? Well, it may be a little surprising. I kind of think I'm drawn to it. Uh, I I did do some collecting of just the most random things growing up as a kid. I I hardly had any friends growing up. So when I was like five, I... I noticed that the mailman dropped rubber bands every day and I collected rubber bands. Who knows why? Uh, I collected rocks for a long time. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure about that necessarily, but then it gets to the point where, oh, uh, I've got three more movies. Wait a minute. There's suddenly 294 of them here. And then a couple weeks later, wait, there's 58 more. And then suddenly, 
oh god i have a movie room and yeah it just kind of snowballs yeah um trying to think of i think that's pretty similar for some reason like i think working at blockbuster maybe i kind of felt like i was just around movies like so much right like i was kind of turned off from buying like used um not turned off but like it just felt very accessible and then all of a sudden in the early 2000s like you said these anchor bay tins started coming out and some of this stuff and that felt like cool you know like that felt like different um and so i was kind of drawn to that um but i don't remember if there was yeah i don't think it was a conscious decision for me either i think i just kind of like eventually i realized like oh like I, i used to have this thing where you know those like cement blocks have you seen those shelves where like a lot of college kids We'll have like cement blocks yeah. with a two by four on it. <laughs> oh yeah. So that was me. And like, as I got to like the fourth level high and the cement block started to like lean forward, I was yeah. like, oh, I need to do, this is like a serious thing now. <laughs> right. Um, how, do you ever think about selling them all? Um, no, not really. And I, I think the, the roundabout way of answering that last question is the answer to this one in the fact that I... I don't think I could ever give up on physical media because when I was collecting music, when I was collecting DVDs and now I do what I've just always called immersing myself into each thing as an experience. So uh, one of my favorite bands that I loved growing up is a band called showbread. And uh, I, you know, I was raised in a super religious house. So I was always drawn to these Christian bands and everything, but they put out this double album that came in a CD case with a book for each album And they had directions to sit in a dark room lit only by a single candle and read this book as you listen to their music. And that was the sort of thing that made me go, okay, this might've cost me $18, but I'm going to get like a thousand dollars worth of enjoyment out of this experience. And every special edition, I mean, these, uh, you know, these books that come with some of these special editions from like second sight that are a hundred pages long. I can't stand how certain people were like, yeah, it comes with a book, but I never read them. I, I sit there and pour through every single word and essentially put myself through film school on these because I, you know, that thing cost me $50. I am going to get every dang penny out of it and really learn what I can. Well, the funny thing too, is if you actually take the time to do it, right. You're like, man, this, like, there was so much care put into this. <laughs> like, right. Like, you know, it's not just like they threw a movie onto a disc. You're like, somebody sat there and like thought through, okay, like what's the best experience somebody can get? Um, I, somebody once said that it's like, you know, they could answer like the, the um, uh, what's it called? Like a quiz show, you know, like they could go on and be like a, like a trivia master for any of these films when they're done yep. producing the disc. And that's kind of how I feel about it too. You're like, okay, like I'm, I'm an expert at this one film now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I've done that with quite a few. I mean, uh, one of my biggest uh, favorites from last year was the Django 4K release. And the book that came in that, there is essentially two sections of that. There's one that talks about the the legacy behind Django and the character that he was. And the second half just dove into Corbucci in depth and being able to go back to back. And there was two movies in there. So you got two different movies. You got a Franco Nero movie where they talk about Django and then you got Corbucci directing both of them. And it's literally, it's film school, but then it's also like pop culture school because you're getting that, you know, everything the Italian cinema poured into this and everything Corbucci. There's just so much to learn from all of these packages. 
I don't know if you feel like, so there's a term that I think you used before. Uh, I think this is from you where when you're talking to like Saturn's core and some of these labels that the general public or people that aren't as into like that specific genre may dismiss easily as like something else. But like you've used that, uh, there's that term that's come up of like elevating this to what they're doing into like this kind of serious discussion. And I think that like those kinds of deep dives into Sergio Corbucci, like it's on the surface level, it might be like, oh, he's just like this Italian guy, did a lot of Westerns. But when you like hear him talk or hear people talk about him and like immerse yourself into that right. world, like this dude is brilliant. <laughs> like, like he was amazing. Um, yeah, that's, I, I love that going into that. Yeah, and he saw that world was connected. Like Pasolini was involved with like all these Westerns early on as a writer and stuff. You're like, yeah. oh, okay. So you start to see this kind of like world come out of it. And that's the deep dive into Django. They talked about how it hit German cinema, how it hit U.S. cinema, how it hit, uh, I think they even went into a little French cinema. It's it's pretty much everywhere. And it's just one character played by Franco Nero, you know, 50, what are we at now? 56 years ago could affect so much. And that's the coolest thing on that disc is Franco Nero is still alive and gave an interview in 2018 for that disc, still talking about it like it was yesterday. And that's incredible. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but like, it's a pretty memorable ending anyways. It is. <laughs> like, it's pretty badass. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's what's in the coffin. Um, crazy, man. Well, okay. So, um, I, you know, I guess one of, the, one of the things I wanted to cover was like, why do you collect? But I think we kind of covered that. Are you comfortable talking about the size of your collection or is that something you like to keep private? I can talk about anything. I'm literally an open book. So yeah. So what roughly how many how many discs do you have? Do you think or movies or how do you think about slides? Uh, well, I use the Blu-ray.com app, uh, yeah. the the free Blu-ray.com app to make sure that I'm not double buying on things unless mm -hmm. I'm making a, con a an actual conscious decision to do that. Yeah. Uh, so in there, they say that I have seven thousand nine hundred and twenty-one different films, but I don't think that's necessarily accurate anymore. I've sold quite a lot throughout the years that are either upgrades or uh, even if it's something I hate, I normally still keep it because I guess I'm a masochist. But um, yeah, it says I have 6,136 discs, uh, which it, it, it's a lot. Um, I have, uh, I know they can't see it, but I've got these shelves that I built out of two by fours and one by twos around half of this room on two different full walls and then i've got one of the giant shelves from ikea the the calyx the big cube ones and then i've got uh one of the atlantic media shelves and then another ikea shelf but that one is three rows deep the entire way up to the bottom and everybody comes in and they're like man this is so many but then i open my closet and that's where i keep all of my mainstream movies and they are piled from the floor to about five feet up in about 14 <laughs> different piles it is stupid in here <laughs> and everybody watches and they're like man on youtube your room looks so clean that is in this one little square box behind me if i if i move the laptop at all it is a, an embarrassment that's cool man Do you, have you ever thought about like adding onto the house or like making a custom kind of media room What's funny is uh, I've got two young kids. I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And about 15 feet out of the, the room down here, they have their playroom. And both of my kids are starting to get to that age where they really love electronics. And that's basically it, like yeah. a lot of kids. Is. So I'm like, 
So that playroom is getting mighty empty and it's a lot bigger than where I'm set up right now. So I'm, I'm hoping someday to be able to utilize like the back two thirds of that as a media area and then put a curtain all the way across and actually put a TV on the wall on the far side. Um, so the question everybody always wants to know in these discussions is how do you organize? I organize, uh, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but by boutique distributor, yep. starting with, uh, my first one is 88 films and yep. it goes in alphabetical order by distributor. Yep. I go all the way down and then at the very end, it ends up at Wellgo USA and my big Calyx that I said, uh, from Ikea, mm -hmm. the entire thing is full of every vinegar syndrome release ever and all of the partner label releases. And because there are so many partner label releases, it is starting to double stack. And then I, I've got all of my Scream Factory and that Atlantic shelf. Yeah. And then the shelf that is three deep, that is only horror, the entire thing. And then I've got a couple other random displays. Like I've got all of the MCU steelbooks displayed. I've got a little John Carpenter steelbook shrine. I've got all the Vestron and... Uh, garage house and all of the mondo steelbooks separately just because i ran out of space that's awesome um do you have um yeah so for me i've got uh, i do a very similar thing except as i was telling you about this before we started so um i i used to do uh, well i was basically out of space so when we had this whole kind of reconstruction and and, and um uh, renovation work inside the house we just moved back in I gave a long, hard think about like how I was going to reorg. And what jumped out to me was I have like, I'm a Gemini, like I'm born in June and I have a Gemini and I'm, I'm not big into astrology stuff, but like the part of having split personalities is really like dead on. <laughs> so I realized that like I have gen pop and really like, I probably should just mix them in with what I'm about to say otherwise, but I just kind of feel like it's from the studio. It needs to be separate. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, so then outside of Gen Pop, which is studio releases, I decided that the most pure thing to do would be to separate it into like genre film, horror films, and then art house. So I've got yeah. within that, I've got the labels alphabetically within those two sections. And then within that, I either organize alphabetically or by spine, depending on how they do it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes certain things like, like vinegar syndrome is a little difficult because I have to sit here and rack my brain when I'm searching for a specific movie and say, well, they've been around for 10 years about how long into their history was this movie put out? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to, to try to look through. I think they're up to like 400 releases now. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think what just came in. It was 390 or 392 or something. I can't remember, but they were like right up there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're getting into criterion levels. I mean, not quite, but they're getting they're getting super high. That Screen Factory probably has more than them, but that's probably the only one, right? They've got more than Vinegar Syndrome for sure. I think Screen Factory is up to close to like 600. You know, if you email the Screen Factory people and ask for their their uh, Excel sheet of all their inventory, they'll just send it to you. You know, what's funny is uh, we haven't got into this, but I admin a bunch of the Facebook groups for collecting and okay. I have people message me for my spreadsheet for screen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you might as well. Um, my big thing is I I've got it listed. If it had a slip or not, the release date that it came out and uh, yeah, everything else. Well, I'll forward it to you. Uh, Cause they have all the out of print stuff on the sheet as well. 
So nice. um, I'll forward it to you after this so you have it in case anybody's asking you again. Yep. Um, so, uh, okay. So one of the questions is how do you organize? The other question that I didn't send you ahead of time, but, but I think this is not a big one, uh, but I'm always interested in is how do you watch? Like what's the process for how you pick a movie and watch? Is it systematic or is it random? Uh, it can be random. Uh, the first thing I consider is my wife is very supportive of all this and literally watches everything with me. Uh, there is the only time I watch something without her is because I can sometimes watch movies while I work. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time I'm, I'm watching like other YouTube creators and supporting that. So I, I don't get to watch as much during work as I'd like to, but, uh, yeah, for the most part, we watch everything together. So, oh, cool. you know, whether that's Ebola syndrome from vinegar syndrome or <laughs> some art house film, she's in for all of it. Uh, so I try to, to keep it fairly varied. I don't really want to get stuck in a genre or a creator or even foreign film versus us film or anything like that. So I try to keep it interesting for her and she was raised in a really sheltered house. So there's things that everybody by this point should have seen. And she's like, Oh my God, Indiana Jones, this is amazing. I've heard about this my whole life. <laughs> so it's showing everything. And I'm also at the point where my oldest kid is finally old enough to really appreciate movies and not just, Oh, this is animated Batman. So we can get into some of the deeper things and, you know, he's asking to watch star Wars and asking to, to watch these random things that he sees around the room, which is great. So, uh, it, we try to branch out as much as we can. Now there are certain things where, uh, I actually just put out a video on this a couple of weeks ago on my channel that really a lot of this is dependent on mood and I do a lot of blind buying. And so, I know the general feel for a movie, but I don't know about it entirely. So yeah. I try to go with what's going on. You know, the world kind of seems like it's on fire a lot right now. <laughs> so uh, maybe a lot of the depressing films don't get watched as much as they could. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's you got to like feel for the night. If, if we've had a really hard day with the kids, I'm going to try to put on like a classic comedy. If we, if we haven't had a lot of time together, you know, maybe it's something that'll... A scarer so that we have to sit real close on the couch or something it's just you know it's just got to be something that the vibe of the house has to fit that way you appreciate the movie more yeah so i <laughs> so we have a similar type of sort version of that where my wife will watch anything because um she falls asleep within the first 10 minutes of any movie it doesn't matter what it is so does my wife i didn't want to tell on her but that's absolutely <laughs> true. so like, she, like it goes on and like you know, the only thing is like certain movies, like, you know, Massacre just did that, that three pack. Um, yep. One of them was the portrait of Andrea Palmer. And I probably won't watch that with her. Like I'll probably wait till she, <laughs> she does, like she does dancing on the side. So I'll probably wait till there's a night where she's gone dancing or something and, and maybe put that in. Some of this stuff can yep. be a little brutal, like hard gore or something. But, um, but uh, most of the stuff she's usually in for. Um, that's, that's good. Well, what's the, um, you, you, you touched on something there that I think I wanted to make sure we focused on a little bit. You know, there's a war going on in Ukraine and like that only gets people about half as angry as when you mention that you blind buy something. <laughs> <laughs> like, like people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like that innocent people are getting killed, but what the fuck you blind buy, right? So I also blind buy. So we're not going to be able to have a good debate here. But for the people that say you're wasting your money, 
what are you doing? You're wasting your life. You're an idiot. <laughs> right? Like I've heard it all as I it, like defend blind buying. So I'm happy to give right. my opinion on this, but I'd love to hear it from you as well. How could you possibly do this, Ryan? That is a great question. Uh, first of all, I have a, a Patreon for my community and the, the people that are subscribers for the Patreon, they get access to our Discord. And we have a very access Discord community where we're discussing movies all day, uh, but then on top of that, discussing like personal lives and how things are affecting us and what's going on. And one of the things we talked about recently was blind buying. And uh -huh. everybody was a little shocked to see that I would venture to guess in this giant room, more than, uh, the, again, some people listening to this are going to like have to pull over before they hear this, but uh -huh. probably more than 90% of my purchases have been true blind buys that yeah. I've literally never seen even a minute from before. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, I grew up in a very small town. And so we had blockbuster video and that was pretty much it. Yeah. The, we didn't get a chance to have, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't even see evil dead till I was older than 18. So there's yeah. a lot of things that people are raised on that. I didn't get that chance to. And, um, on my channel, there's one thing that I say a lot and I'm amazed that this is the first time I'm saying this during this, but uh, my my main mantra is that every single film has been somebody's favorite film. And I don't think, uh, in my mind, there's not a single movie I've ever watched that I didn't at least gain something out of. I, I've not loved all of them, obviously. A lot of them are god-awful trash. However, I've appreciated every single one for the work that that has taken, for you know, a, a different worldview, a, an appreciation of craft, something that I got out of it. And no matter how bad the movie is, it is something that I am happy to invest my time in because of what other people invested time in to make the art. I love that. You know, it's so funny. Like, let's say you go to like, um, you're in Kansas City, right? There's a ton, or you're close to Kansas City. There's a ton of mm -hmm. museums there, right? So let's yeah. say you go into one of these museums. Like, you know, people don't really think about like going to certain exhibits or like only going to certain museums or something. It's like exposure to the arts is enough to kind of justify like the time and the spend, right? Yep. But for some reason, like there's this big block to movies. Like, I don't, I don't get it actually. Like I, I try to defend a lot of the time of like, if we're not, if we're not buying these discs, if somebody is not buying these discs, right? More than the hundred people that have, heard of Bill Rabane, right? Like if, if somebody's not taking a chance on Bill Rabane, like Arrow's not gonna put that stuff out. Right. And it just gets lost. Like, like you, you know, if you, if you believe, I think we're obviously on very similar pages here, but if you believe that art is meant to be preserved and you're not going into debt to do it, like just relax, like it's okay. <laughs> like you get right. it. Like you're supporting something that's much greater than, than the, the, the 500 movies that you've seen and like, right. And like, I don't know, I, I get kind of passionate about this in the sense of saying like, um, you know, this, this is something that has a, I don't want to get too high on my, you know, that South Park episode where they, they smell their own farts. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is smug. Like, I don't want to get smug about this. I'm not doing anything like too important. But within the realm that I can control, this is how I choose to support like this art, right? Right. And I want to buy the crazy stuff that Lewis puts out in Massacre Video because I like the fact that he exists. Yep. 
I, uh, I've got a letterboard hanging on the wall here in my movie room, and it says the Disconnected Museum and Library. And that's uh, for two different reasons. I I understand that it's my personal library that I'm able to access wherever I want. And that's a huge part of this for me. Yeah. But the other thing is this is literally an investment into archiving some of the most important works of art in history. And if places like Vinegar Syndrome are not scanning things in 4K and restoring them, they're lost. I mean, the, the amount of you know Brazilian films that don't exist because the government down there did not care about preserving their art is astonishing. And if yeah. somebody had taken the time to fulfill you know, the artist's desire of keeping this just in the ether for decades, I can't imagine how much more cinema would be out there. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm better than anybody for doing it or anything. It's just the way that I've chosen to, to view it. And I think that if we are donating to a museum, a lot of this can be viewed the same way. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about it. For some reason, if you support theater, live theater, or if you support a museum or if you support the orchestra, nobody will say anything to it. Uh, right. But, you know, I think part of it is because for so long DVDs were like a commodity, right? And I think that that switch that happened where it's more mm -hmm. of a collector kind of market, I don't think every, like the general sort of public has kind of caught on to that yet. Um, right. But there's nothing really commoditized about what's being done right now, um, right? I mean, even, even Paramount Presents, as much as I don't like them, they're at least trying in their own broken way of becoming boutique in their, in, in the, in their mentality. Right. Right. And a lot of those, the, the limited editions, you know, I think back to the, the ones that were sold in Walmart for like Wizard of Oz, the gift boxes. And on the back, they had the little holographic sticker that said number 24,612 out of a hundred thousand. And that, that was technically boutique. It, it was, you know, keeping something in a really nice package and all that, but that's not, you know, it wasn't saving the Wizard of Oz. That was something that was always going to get that treatment. But even these Paramount titles, those are, if I remember right, either Six or seven thousand is their max run on those, and that's it. So that is a huge shift. So it, it definitely is a different market, obviously. Yeah, and so I think in time people will look back on this and say, like, oh, okay, like you were kind of helping support it, you know, whatever. Like you're doing this for the arts, uh, but that 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 mental shift hasn't quite fully happened yet. Um, right. So, do you have uh, offhand, and if not, no problem. But do you have your like prized possessions, the things you're most proud of owning? Um, overall, not not really. Uh, I've got a couple things that are extra personal to me. Um, my wife bought me for Christmas. She bought me one of the uh, John Carpenter produced comics, and he autographed it. Oh, uh, nice. I've got. Um, I went to see uh, Adam Green here in Kansas City brought his movie Victor Crowley and I got a shooting script for Hatchet uh, signed by him. I've got a handful of things like that, but uh, for the most part, my biggest thing is complete collections, I guess. Uh, like I said, I've got every Vinegar Syndrome title. I, I'm complete on probably like eight or nine different labels at the moment, which is wild, but I, I'm glad that I've been able to get there. Well, and Vinegar so back catalog on Vinegar Syndrome is tough. And yeah. this is the thing I love about them. I mean, not to go on too much of a tangent, but like this whole subscription model, I think is brilliant because you're basically just kind of like commit, right? And then you're in for, yep. um, for the year. Uh, the, the only one that I always talk about when this question comes up, because I mean, you, you can kind of go back and forth on, you know, certain things or people always use this term like white whale. Um, right. But the only one is I got really lucky. So for Christmas, 
uh, I guess about 10 years ago, somebody knew that I, I like Criterion movies and got me the Kurosawa box set, the DVD box set. Nice. And um, man, like I've never been tempted to sell something that I love before, but that <laughs> thing's going for like 800 bucks, a thousand bucks. I'm like, you know, I've seen all these movies now. Like, do I <laughs> I've thought about it before. I get um, that. Yeah. Anyways. Um, do you feel, so you have this discord group. That's super interesting. I might have to join that. I didn't actually know about that. Um, do you have a chance to, do you get a lot of, uh, maybe whether it's in your family or friends or maybe on on Reddit or wherever, wherever yeah. you are on YouTube, you get a lot of misconceptions about having a large collection that you have to like correct a lot. Like what are some things that come up for you? Um, I mean, thankfully I, I really don't. Uh, I, I'm very much, and this is maybe surprising some people that watch and uh, listen to some of the stuff I do, but I am a hundred percent an introvert. I, I do not get energy from other people. I'd much rather be alone in a room by myself, uh, ingesting some movies essentially. Uh -huh. Um, so I, I don't interact with a lot of people around my collection. Obviously there are people that I'm close to that spend time down here or like it, or, you know, want to stop in and see what cool new things have gone in. Uh, but other than that, not really, um, online, I, I really don't share pictures. I'm not, you know, in that, that vein type of, um, look, I've got all of the vinegar syndrome to look at me type of post. Uh, but because of the disconnected thing, a lot of people have sort of started to turn towards this as an academic source of information more than anything. So they have, uh, you know, with the guides on my channel, a lot of that information is out there because people were asking for just literal in-depth information and no one else was creating a right. deep dive. Like I, I went into Severn Films and shared the what they've done, the history of their sales, who works there, the type of movies they put out, 10 of my favorites, uh, all kinds of stuff. And that sort of thing makes people go, you know, that's interesting. Now that I know the backstory, I kind of want to go and support Severn Films. And I have just sort of developed into that person that people go to. So not really misconceptions, more a, a source, I guess. It's funny. Severin Films was actually the way that I found your uh, podcast and your, your YouTube channel initially. Interesting. The uh, I forget exactly. Some, some algorithm in YouTube, or, or possibly it was on Reddit, but one of those two said that like I would be interested in in this one you know this popped up and I was like yeah that's a good I, I am actually interested in this um, <laughs> and that was one of the first times I heard about you it's funny you brought that up so you being an introvert is like the perfect transition into kind of the, the this other set of questions I had for you so I mean outside of possibly Jesse from Diabolic I feel like you're one of the hardest working people kind of in this world right now because like you have a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. So what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> why do you do this? Uh, because like you're, uh, I'm going to compliment you here. I don't know if you're shy on this kind of stuff, but like there's nobody that's going in this amount of depth that you do. And like, there's nobody that's doing the amount of research you do. And I mean, when I get people on, I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm a little embarrassed because I'll do like enough research to kind of sound somewhat intelligent. And I just kind of, trust my ability to have a conversation because I'm in sales, right? Like, and I just kind of go right. with it. But like, when you go deep, it's like, damn, I'm like learning something every time. But you have two kids, <laughs> you have a full-time job. So yeah, like, how do you, how do you, yeah, there's a million questions in that. But like, why do you do this? <laughs> um, 
Well, not, not to bring the, the candor down and, and low and sad for a minute, but uh, again, I, I had a really rough childhood. And a lot of the reason that I love movies is because I have been able to find things to relate to uh, in pain, in uh, you know discovering what other families should have been like, discovering what uh, life is like behind a, a veil that was held across me that I was not allowed to venture out into. Okay. And, you know, discovering all that movies led to discovering the community. So one of my biggest things is I've got two kids, I've got a job, I've got a wife, sure. But this is probably the first time in my life I've done something that's made me genuinely happy. Oh, man, and that's awesome that it sucks to say it like that because I've done pretty much uh, one of my streams a few months ago, we, we were joking because somebody asked what I used to do uh, for a living. And we, uh, they sort of discovered that I've done basically every job under the sun. And they, we had people guessing things. I was like, yep, I did that for six months. And <laughs> I, I went into all my history basically. And so I did all those things and it never did anything for me. And, and now even this, this will never pay the bills. I know that this will never be anything that puts food on the table for my kids. This will never be something that I can quit my daytime job or anything like that. However, I get genuine enjoyment helping people discover a new movie. You know, if I, I've got a friend in Michigan that I made through some of these groups that uh, about every 10 days, he texts me and says, all right, I need another one. And what I know is that he's got a friend over at his house and he wants to show some crazy screwed up movie that will make for a really enjoyable night. And he says, you are the only person I've ever asked for recommendations. And every single thing you've ever told me is something I've loved. So when I get feedback from people like that, I just want to keep doing it. Dude, that's so freaking wholesome. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, separate podcasts where we dissect your path past and get into, I, I'm sorry to hear that you had that experience, but the fact that you found this now, man, that's so freaking great. Like, I love that for yeah. you. Um, and that's the kind of deal where it just makes you like the passion. You don't have to fake the passion. It's just there. Right. Right. Like, it's just, it's like, you, you don't even have to think about it. It's just like the thing that you do. And that's during my, my everyday life, I genuinely feel like I'm wearing a mask uh, throughout the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> I, I struggle entirely with imposter syndrome at my job. Uh, I, I am very high up with who I work for and I'm pretty young. I'm, I'm only 35 and I'm at a level that like most people don't even reach this before they retire. They're usually two or three levels below. And I, I have this really weird dread inside me that I'm going to get found out for being an idiot in the next couple of weeks and get fired. Uh, and that just never leaves. But I know that when I am in my community, it's something that is real and that I can just open my mouth and talk about for seven hours. Man, that hits hard. So like, I've actually like, I've used, so I, I got, uh, I've, my whole career has been in startups. Mm -hmm. And I switched to a company with 300,000 people about a year ago hmm. and that imposter it's slightly syndrome, different <laughs> yeah exactly. that imposter syndrome thing is 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 a beast man that's a it's a yeah. it's it's real like like there's so many days where you know it's like it's funny because all of a sudden you sit you know you're in this high position maybe you can relate a little bit like all of a sudden it's like i'm the person that has to make that decision on something i'm thinking like this is gonna have like implications to the shareholder i don't know like to right. ask somebody else that's like qualified for this stuff, man. Like, what are you talking right. about? I just want to talk and about horror movies. Since Disconnected took off last November, I was uh, 
I, I'm the type of person I pretty much just apply for jobs in my company all the time. And last November ish, I got a callback for something that I just forgot I even applied for and I got <laughs> promoted and I'm, I'm open with all of the people that I I'm, you know, in this community with. And so they watched me make this change. And I was, I was just a, like a first level supervisor back then. And now since November, I have been essentially like a, a regional manager and I'm over people in three different time zones. And I am, I feel like I'm way in over my head. I have no clue what I'm doing. And it's just day to day, barely holding on. But then I know it's Thursday night. I got reconnected coming up. I can just sit here and be calm with everybody in my community, talk about the things I love and just, you know, stream for two hours, go real deep into something from like Scorpion releasing that uh-huh. I've never even seen, but I can't wait to purchase and watch with my wife on a Friday night. Dude, I love that. That's a, that's a, actually like, well, first of all, that's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> and also that's a really good segue into one of the questions. So like, can you just quickly kind of break down, like what are the things that you do? Cause your YouTube channel is super active. So for people that are, uh, if, if there's any, again, I, I assume that we share a bunch of, of audience, but if there's anybody that wants to kind of dig in, like what are all the different kind of things that you do on, on your channel? Oh man. Uh, so on Thursday nights, I've got a live show going over the boutique announcements. Yeah. Uh, I usually put up three different pre-recorded videos a week, usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, Friday, I try to make that be like a longer form videos for people to be able to ingest over the weekend. Wednesdays are usually pretty short. And then Monday is usually like a like a 10-minute educational thing or a review, basically. And then Tuesday nights, I also have a second channel. I have uh, a show called Disc Covering Cinema. Uh, Two words there, Disc Covering, where we talk about uh, releases that came out. And then we usually pick a topic. Uh, Like uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a really fun one, top five favorite uh, found footage movies. Um, We go in, uh, we, we develop the series that we call Top Three, Bottom Three. And we do like the top three, bottom three, Christopher Nolan films. And we'll just dive deep and talk about it for an hour and a half and s- tell funny stories. And really that's just super relaxed. Me and a co-host, we do that every week. Um, yeah. And then I am one of the, the, uh, the label announcement people that post everything on all of the social media and uh, people share that. Obviously there's another, uh, there's another brand that is more associated with it than me. And that's fine. I'm not trying to beat anyone else or anything. I'm just doing it. Cause I like to share the information. Um, recently, because I have all this free time in the world, I also started producing two different <laughs> podcasts for a friend that is, uh, in Seattle. Uh, I produce a podcast called movies with gravy where he is, uh, he is from like the, the movie critic scene and knows a lot of people. He also did for those that are in Southern California scripts gone wild in Los Angeles, the guy that does that uh, I've been working with him. So I do movies with gravy. And then he made a show called the incinerator where he has a list of 25 films and two people are competing to find which of those 25 films we are leaving for humanity, but the rest are gone forever. So I, uh, I was already listening to those podcasts on my own and I just stepped in as producer for him. And now I'm doing bonus content with him for his Patreon recording and co-hosting some of those things. Uh, yeah, that, that, I think that's everything that's disconnected and, and movie related overall. Is there a place, uh, where you prefer people to find you? Like, obviously I guess the Patreon, is that, is that the place where you want people to kind of find you if, or where, where do you, I mean, where do you, 
I, I am kind of everywhere because I am the type of person where I like to choose the way that I'm interacting with somebody. And that's where I want to meet everybody at. So if you are a visual person, come hang out on Instagram, uh, comment away on all the announcements and we'll chat. Uh, if you want to be deep diving into discussions uh, privately, come join the discord where I've got like 20 people in there. We're talking about pickups, talking about movies, um, talking about family stuff, talking about everything under the sun. If you want to, you know, learn or watch some of my interviews, I guess that's something I forgot to uh, throw in there as I interview a lot of these people from these labels and uh, you know, these retailers like Grindhouse Video and Orbit DVD. And I put those on my YouTube channel or they're a part of my show on Thursday night. So uh, YouTube is there for everybody. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I am, I'm everywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and I also post on Reddit too. I forgot about that one. And and uh, so most of it is at Disconnected, right? That's most of the yes. channels. And then on Reddit, it's one-armed Ash, right? Yep, it's Evil Dead reference, yeah. Speaking of Evil Dead from earlier, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well that's yeah, good man. I, I hope that I hope that people find you and start to listen to you. Why disconnected? I mean, the name's cool. Can you walk it all through, just sort of like how disconnected got started? How that you know, like what's what's the origin story there? Uh, I actually, a few years ago, my, my wife and I are the type of people where we both came from similar rough childhoods and we had parents that never took the time to teach us anything. So we were trying to develop a website that was basically like a, not like a self-help site, but like if you had trouble with everything from establishing credit to, uh, cleaning properly or something, you could come to this and essentially have adult lessons, uh, and, Okay. I had never made a website or anything. So I, I taught myself how to do all of that. And around that same time, I was like, you know, if I can do this for something that I, you know, I, I like helping people, but I love physical media. I'd love to do it for that too. I started trying to teach myself how to do that more visually. So the physical media really lends itself to that. And the other side was more like written. So I started developing it at that time. And then we had uh, some personal things come up. Both of my kids have special needs. And around that time, I just dropped everything because they needed a lot more therapy and hands-on help around then. So I kept uh, what I was doing just like in pictures and ready to pick it up again. And then the pandemic came. So we're all stuck at home. And I said, you know what? I, the best thing I can do, I can get mail still. I, I can share what's coming in. I can teach people about these discs. I can share my passion. And it just uh, really started with certain things like uh, I would post on Instagram. If you go back to the very first few posts, it was like, this has never been on Blu-ray and I'd love it just to put it out in the world to see if anybody agreed. And it didn't really do anything. And I, I saw some information missing out there. And I figured if I start sharing these announcements, people are going to come. If I start sharing uh, some of these discs that I got in that people love, there's going to be a lot of talk and it just exploded. And right around that time, uh, I was, you know, trying to establish this community and the name hadn't even grown yet. So I was walking around the movie room and the movie from Vinegar Syndrome, Disconnected, literally was just sitting on one of my shelves and it was the last thing on the shelf. And I saw it and I was like, God dang, that is the best name in the world <laughs> if I put a hyphen in the middle and say yeah. that I'm connected to all these people by all of these discs. I love that. 
every story you tell is like so freaking wholesome. I just have like, I'm like, I'm loving all these stories. I just want to sit around like, I don't make some s'mores or something, man. I'm like loving it. Like, but the thing is like, the, you know, again, like I'll just try to push people to what you do because like this genuine nature, like it's so good to meet the man behind the, the, the disconnected brand because like that passion shows, right? Like, like, you know, you treat, if, if anybody hasn't heard the Saturn's core discussion, you know, you treat Ross, Ross yeah. with the same care and TLC and attention that you would Criterion or that you would if you had like a director on the show. Like it just that everything you're saying, like the genuine nature of uh, your approach and your, your attitude comes through. So it's I'm not surprised at all to hear these stories. I appreciate that. I, I, I noticed too, when I was going through a lot of this, that people liked getting the information from me, but I mean, what better way is there to get that information other than the source? And obviously your brand has started to tap into that. And the interviews that you guys put out are instrumental in some of these people that I respect and adore. And, uh, I wanted to be able to get some of these people to be very candid and amazingly, they, they really have for some of these, like, uh, Mike from, uh, Mike Sandlin from Grindhouse Video got deep into like how much profit he gets off of very specific releases. And you normally don't get stuff like that out of people. It is something that is just nice to be able to be around that community where you can tell these people, they genuinely just want to learn and it's not going to be used to like attack you or anything like that. It is just eager to have that information. I, it's so true. Like I've been blown away with how honest like 90% of the guests we've had are like, like literally there's nothing off limits. Like it's crazy. I I know exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like, it just feels like this is a world where everybody wants to like, no one's trying to become Bill Gates. Like they're just like, there's an opportunity to package these films in a beautiful way, but it's not competitive. And there's like an excitement around being able to produce these films and put these films out. Uh, And it just, it it comes through and everybody you talk to, I, I think, yeah, the interviews are, are I, I love. Um, so speaking of that, what's next for you? Like, how far ahead do you typically plan? Well, <laughs> uh, this might be a little embarrassing or piss some people off if they're genuinely impressed by what I do, because I am flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I, there are so many times, literally like last week, I recorded one of my videos. No, I recorded two of my videos because I worked... <laughs> I worked from 6 a.m. until 4 p.m. I had to take something to the post office, got home, played with my kids for about 20 minutes. And then while my wife was making dinner, I came down here and recorded a video that was going to go up on the channel. That was, I think it ended up being about nine minutes long. I recorded a video just for my patrons and both were posted that night at 8.15. (laughs) Literally. Uh, There are some days where it's that quick. There are other days... Uh, you know, a couple of the interviews that I just posted for vinegar syndrome month, I've had not like in the can in the can, but they were done like a week and a half ahead of time. I, I don't have anything scheduled much further in advance. It it is absolutely like, what can I do? Cause I'm, I mean, when you're putting out this much content, it's not easy to schedule, you know, 75 videos over the next two months. Oh my gosh. No, you're right. (laughs) So we're recording this on May 18th and I have five people that have tentatively said yes, but none of them scheduled. So like whatever interviews are coming next are going to be scheduled here in the next like week or so. I hope it's kind of this world, right? Like 
it's not like you have full access to these people's calendars. And I mean, they're busy too. Like, can you imagine? So like the Holy grail for me, and I think you might share the sentiment. So the guy from second sight has never done an interview. Yeah. Right. His name is Chris. That's kind of what I know about him. Never done an interview. And, and I had like a really good connection, reach out to them. And he's like, no. Um, <laughs> and you know, like that's, that's his prerogative. Like, I'm not trying to put him on blast. Like I totally respect that. But like right. the dude is busy, right? Like all of these people, like Phil from Fractured Visions, the Crescendo House guys, like Fun City, like there, it's one person. Like it's not like there's yep. a whole army behind these labels, right? Russ from Saturn, or Ross from Saturn's Court. Like, you know, maybe he has two, but I mean, it's like functionally, it's him. The the guy Jared from Mondo, like functionally, yep. it's him, right? Like you know, everybody's super busy. Like it's not like this is some cush world. Where they're like traveling the world on their yacht so they can't <laughs> you know join um, right and then I, i'm the idiot that i set out to make may vinegar syndrome month and i started at well, i think it was may 3rd reaching <laughs> out to people for interviews after i declared this is vinegar syndrome month let's try to get some interviews and i've done a couple partner labels and uh spoiler alert i've got another one coming out this friday that I'm interviewing tomorrow night. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is not something that I am super prepared in advance. And that's that's kind of the nature of the thing. The, the thing I do for a living, it, it's not real easy to schedule things out because uh, like today, I started work at 6 a.m. and I was supposed to be off at 3.15. I ended up working until five. And then I had to help my wife with dinner. I played with my kids. I do everything I possibly can. And I mean, that's that's about it. Well, I appreciate you giving the time. Have you ever given any thought to starting a label? Uh, I mean, if I had all the money in the world, absolutely. It would be something I would love to do. But uh, right now, all of my investments are in plastic and cardboard behind me. <laughs> uh, I've got two young kids and I'm fortunate enough to have a decent paying job. So I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I if I could, I would. I don't see it happening. Uh, in this particular instance you just described where you had the uh, unlimited capital, where would you, what would your focus be? Uh, probably uh, 90s underground horror and erotic thrillers because there's like no home for those at all. What What's an example of each that comes to mind? Like just one example of each. I mean for example, the, the release that arrows putting out on 4k of wild things, that, that's the type of thing that I would love to, to package something like that and have it come out and everybody go, why am I seeing Kevin's bake, Kevin Bacon's penis in 4k? And <laughs> it's, you know, this incredible, wonderful put together package. And then, uh, visual vengeance is a random sister label of wild eye that is yeah. about to release their first stuff in either June or July. And they're putting out uh, you know, it's not the absolute most tasteful title, but they're putting out LA AIDS jabber. And it's this old shot on video film about a guy trying to inject people with AIDS with the syringe. And it's something that it's probably not, you know, something that 40,000 people are going to want to buy. I get that. However, there's something there. And the guy that created it loved it. And a lot of people grew up with stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I have, they, they had like a, um, there's two films they're putting out, right? They well, so far they've announced four. Okay, or maybe it's, but they had like a package around the LAH jabber, right? Where yep. it comes with it with the syringe, a syringe pen. Yes, I think I've got, I'm pretty sure I pre-ordered that package because I was I was like cracking up at you know 
<laughs> you never know. Some of these labels are real. Like, uh, uh, what's the guy? Gold, gold, gold ninja, gold, gold ninja. Yeah, I had him on my. He was the yeah. first person to give me an interview on my channel, and Justin DeClue is the guy behind it. He he's another person like me that will. He doesn't sleep. He he puts out two podcasts. He runs this entire label. He uh, creates YouTube videos. He does everything under the sun, and that that's the type of thing that I, I would love to get into. He just gets a public domain films and puts money into the extras themselves and then sells 800 copies of them and calls it a day. It's awesome. Yeah. He's a great one to support. I love that episode with him, by the way, you can, you can, you yeah. can feel like the passion from him. Um, that public domain is super interesting too. I remember in the, in the DVD days, there was a company called elite and, yep. and then there was a company, obviously anchor Bay. And then um, there was one more, and they all had Night of the Living Dead limited editions. <laughs> yep. And they all looked awful. Yeah. 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 Actually, that's true. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the one that was like kind of like all red with like a gray cover with like a tombstone on it? Um, I do. I never had that version. But yeah, I uh, that was one of the ones that I had to actually choose which one I was buying. Yeah. 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 That was the elite one. I just recently went through and I, I'm going to sell that one. I had that in my collection for years and I was like, I don't need four of these. Like, I mean, like it's a cool movie, but <laughs> the Criterion right. one is fine. Um, well, well, man. Um, obviously, you know, I think the last time we spoke, it was three hours. Is that right? <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. So obviously, I could talk to you forever. Um, and you are uh, incredibly, incredibly candid. Uh, this is a you got into some personal stuff that I think meant a lot. Uh, you know, I think this is the the cool thing about. Your, your genuine nature comes through. Uh, you wear your heart on your sleeve and, and you're in the, the, the industry where you feel passion. Um, and uh, I, I hope you have wild success in this. What, what am I not asking? Is there anything that I forgot to ask uh, while, while I have you on the line? Uh, I don't really, I, I don't have anything in my mind that I, you know, dying to share. Uh, I, I love feedback. So if anybody watches, you know, one of these interviews and there's something I missed or something else you'd like to see on the next one, leave a comment. Uh, if there's something that, you know, on my announcements, if you think I'd, I'd do better by including something else, let me know. Um, I, I'm always looking to make it better. And uh, I, that's the perfectionist ADHD person inside of me trying to get out. But um, I'm just here to, to bring a community together in a way that is mostly positive and um, the big thing is just to respect other people. I mean, the the stories that these labels tell when I'm not recording an interview, when I press that stop button and they share like, I you know, they've gotten death threats before over packages being late. Um, they deal with people that are literally from some of these labels telling them that they're going to pay them to do a commentary and then they do the commentary and then never answer their phone again. Uh, these fans that are reaching out to attack people because something needs a replacement disc, even though it doesn't, you know, it hardly inconveniences you at all. Uh, yeah. There's got to be some grace in this hobby. And the, the people that are really here for it, uh, most of them are great. Uh, but the, the ones that are either fair weather fans, basically, or they are people new to this, or people that have just been jaded by Amazon, uh, there's a lot to learn from those negative interactions. And I mean, that's the other big thing is don't support Amazon, support small business. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there, there's, especially in this world, there's so many options um, and they all really want your business. We didn't even talk about terracotta distribution, but they're great as well. As far as terracotta is amazing. Yeah. 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 Good packaging and all that. Just don't support Amazon and don't support Zavi, right? 
And if you are forced to support Amazon, then make Agfa your uh, Amazon Smile partner. That way, you donate something from every purchase. I've been I've been saying that for ever, and some people didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, great call out. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, uh, and uh, I'll I'll see you. uh, Well, actually, tomorrow. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me on. Happily, happily. um, Thanks for letting me on. Look forward to seeing you online. You too.